Paige Dixon, Chief Content Nerd at Love Thy Nerd, back with you for another Bible Thump. We find ourselves in Mark chapter 9, and I'm going to read starting in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, since they were terrified. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Then they asked him, Why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? Elijah does come and first restores all things, he replied. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. All right, a lot going on in this text. But let's try to hit the high points. Um, Jesus, once again, is revealing himself to be the Messiah. That's really what this passage is all about. Previously, we had Jesus' disciples ask him, um, or not ask him, sorry, but he asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? You know, who, what, who do people, other people say that I am? And well, some say you're Elijah, which is interesting. Elijah shows up here. Some say you're one of the prophets. Some say you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. But Jesus looks at his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers right. He says, you're the Christ, which means you're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the promised one that's going to come and rescue God's people. And interestingly enough, in this passage, um, Jesus very much takes on a lot of the imagery of Moses and the stories about Moses. Like, you remember what happened in the Exodus? Well, maybe you don't, depending on, you know, your familiarity with the Bible. But there's a story in the book of Exodus, one of the first books of the Bible, where um, God has rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and he's used Moses to do it. And God would lead the people in a pillar of cloud by day. So there's this huge pillar of cloud that guided the Israelites away from Egypt and towards the promised land. And then there's all this, also the story about how God told Moses to build this tabernacle, this tent. And it was this place for God to meet and speak to Moses. In fact, God would speak almost to Moses as if speaking to someone face to face. And when Moses was in the tent, God was giving him direction here's how you and the people should live. Here's how you should direct them. Here's, here's the kind of life I want you to live. Here's how I want you to be my people. Here's how I want to build you into a city on a hill that, that demonstrates God's love to the nations. And when God would speak to Moses in the tent, a cloud uh, would descend upon the tent. And Moses would leave shining like the sun so that people couldn't even look at him because he was shining with the glory of God. And here we see a cloud overshadowing um, Jesus and Moses and Elijah and the three disciples that came with them up to the mountain. Um, and so, yeah, I think this text is telling us that Jesus is, is the new Moses, that he's taking on Moses's mantle as the one who's going to liberate God's people. 
Um, but it's going to liberate God's people in a way that we could never imagine, that no one would imagine. So anyway, there's a lot going on here. I want to say three things about Jesus that I think come out of the text that are pretty remarkable. Um, first thing that we see is the way Jesus is described is he's described as incredibly pure, right? Um, one of the first things we find out about him is that his clothes as Jesus is revealed to them, this is a moment of revelation, right? And by the way, like revelation in the Bible is just unveiling. That's what it means. It's it's like this idea of things becoming that were once hidden becoming like clear and and unavoidable. And it's things becoming clear and unavoidable in a way that like nothing can ever be the same. Like the, this moment for the disciples, when they see Jesus revealed for who he really is, when they see it, him, you know, that really, he really is the Messiah as he promised he was, as he had said previously, um, when they see this revealed in this profound way, they would never be the same. So I think the same is true for us. And by the way, this unveiling of who Jesus is also strengthens them. Revelation always, when, when it's rightly understood, revelation always brings strength. When we see more of who God is and what he's like, it emboldens us, it empowers us, it gives us strength to face anxiety and to overcome anxiety and to live um, more in line with, with who God made us to be. Um, and so, yeah, this is a moment of... of not just revealing who God is, but this is, and who Jesus is, but the moment of strengthening and empowering the disciples to face a life that's going to be difficult to many ways. Very good. Their lives are going to be very good, incredible, amazing. They're going to live amazing lives, but they're going to be difficult, and they're going to need strength for the road ahead. And so, truth, revelation strengthens us. Um, all right. So, thirty things we see about Jesus. I mentioned this before, but he's very pure, right? Um, Jesus is transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling and extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Which is interesting that Mark highlights this, because, I mean, you, you can't read that kind of statement without thinking of purity. That's what anyone in Jesus' day at that time, reading that, that's what this blazingly white clothing would signify. And also, if you're an ancient reader of Mark's Gospel... You'd find this quite remarkable, considering some of the things Jesus has been doing up to this point. Like, he's been touching lepers um, and healing them, and healing them by touch. He's been casting out demons from Gentiles. He's been attending parties with sinners and tax collectors, right? And tax collectors were considered enemies of God. And he's, he's not only hanging out with them, going to parties with them, but he calls one of them to be his disciples, to be like one of his closest friends and follow him in a really close and, and, and powerful way. Um, he let his disciples pick grains of, of head on the Sabbath. But these sorts of things, touching lepers, casting out demons from, from, from Gentiles, uh, hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, these are the sort of things that land you very firmly in the unclean camp. Like the people that the religious leaders of Jesus' day said are not pure, and in fact are so unpure, are so impure, um, are so broken, are so spiritually and morally broken that they're actually keeping the Messiah from coming, that they're actually hindering the kingdom of God coming to earth, that are actually keeping Israel living in oppression. Um, and so Jesus, yeah, I mean, by everyone's definition in that day, um, especially by any, any, any Jewish leader of the time, he was an unclean person. 
And uh, yeah, God clears that up real fast in this passage by the way he describes Jesus. So all that to say, like, I think this passage challenges us to reframe what we think it means to be pure. It doesn't mean that you necessarily keep all the rules or that you tick all the boxes. Jesus wasn't a rule breaker, um, but he was someone that if a rule was not in line with the heart of God, like this idea that you can't um, serve or love people on the Sabbath, like he wasn't going to obey that rule. That's not a that's not a biblical rule. That's not a rule that actually honors God. That's a man-made rule that actually harms other people. And so when it came to rules that caused harm to other people, Jesus was a rebel. Um, and so, yeah, uh, we need to rethink what we think it means to be pure. To be pure, in Jesus' mind, actually requires getting dirty by the world's standards sometimes. And I don't mean that we join in the sins of others or that we embrace a sinful lifestyle to reach other people, but we do go out and do things like hang out with Gentiles and tax collectors and sinners, that we look for ways to build relationships with people that, yeah, some people in our religious communities and our Christian religious communities might say, hey, don't, don't go anywhere near them. Those are the people Jesus was seeking out and building relationships with and offering the hope of the gospel to. So, um, yeah, maybe we need to reframe, rethink what we think it means to be pure. Second thing we see is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, of the story, God's story from Genesis um, on. Jesus is the center, the fulfillment of everything that God's been saying all along in the Bible. Um, And we see that because Moses and Elijah are present. They're representatives. Moses is a representative of the law. When he was in the tabernacle, he was receiving God's law to deliver to the people. And then Elijah is a representative of the prophets. He's a pretty unique prophet, too, by the way, because he had this really um, interesting uh, healing and miracle ministry where he did he healed people, did miracles that kind of prepares the way for Jesus in a really interesting way. Um, but Moses and Elijah there are as representatives of, of the law and the prophets. And um, so, yeah, I think that's telling us that like everything, this whole story is pointing to Jesus and the work that he's going to do and the kind of person that he's going to be. And ultimately in his resurrection from the dead. I already talked about how Jesus is the new Moses who liberates us from sin liberates us from oppression. Um, Jesus is going to do something about the Roman problem, about the Roman oppression, but he's going to do it in a really miraculous way by suffering and dying and rising again from the dead. So Jesus doesn't um, conquer the way that any other human king conquers. We've talked about this before, but yeah, he conquers in a really profound and beautiful and self-giving way. All right, so Jesus is pure. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And then finally, this is really important. God is pleased with Jesus. This is the climax of the story of the transfiguration, of this moment of revelation about who Jesus is. And the climax is God speaking from the cloud, this image of God's presence, and saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Um, This is is really good news for us because there are many ways in which God is not pleased with people. Um, we see lots of examples of this in the Bible, but um, I mean, it's really all over, but just think about today, even like the many ways in which injustice goes on. Think about some of the gravest forms of human injustice, um, human trafficking, child trafficking, um, you know, uh, exploitation of the poor, um, 
genocide, all these things, like God looks upon those things and he's not pleased. And, and, but, but even like, let's make it a bit more personal in a way that, that maybe resonates with us. Like, um, there's a way in which today you made a selfish decision that hurt someone else. Um, and even if it was like a small decision, but you did something, you chose to do something that, that made your children feel less than, or your spouse feel less than, or a friend, you, you said something that was just slightly pointed enough that, you know, uh, if you think about it, it probably, if you would stop and think about it, so often we don't stop and think about it, but you know, it did harm to someone else made in God's image. You did not deserve to be treated that way. Um, if we could even just, just map out the thoughts that have gone through our heads today. If like, if that could be put on a screen for everyone to see everything that went through your head today, like I think most of us, if we're honest, if that happened, we would be utterly devastated and ashamed. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that like we're broken people and we're part, you and I are part of what's wrong with the world. We're contributing to the brokenness of the world. We live in a broken world and to some degree, that's our fault. Like I don't want, don't, hear that and say like, Oh, I'm a terrible person. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say you're a terrible person, but what I am trying to say is that like, we all participate in the world's brokenness and we all need to be released, to be healed of that brokenness. And so God looks on Jesus and sees someone he's completely and totally pleased with. He says, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That tells us that Jesus is the first human being who got being human right. He's the first human being who finally embodied humanity the way God intended. Jesus is the one true human. And that's good news because there's a human being out in the world that, that God said, that's it. That's what I'm pleased with. And so Jesus is going to make it possible for God to be pleased with us. There's someone whose record is offered to you, and it's Jesus. There's someone whose perfect righteousness is offered to you, and it's Jesus. There's someone who loves perfectly, and it's Jesus. There's someone who embodies mercy perfectly, and it's Jesus. There's someone who embodies what it really means to be pure and merciful and kind and loving and good, and it's Jesus. And he offers to give all of himself to you and for you so that you like him might rise from the dead and so that God might look on you and say and see his beloved son he might look on you and see the perfect record of Jesus so that God through Jesus through the lens of Jesus might look on us and say these are my beloved children with whom I'm well pleased Jesus invites us into the family of God by grace it's free Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. So go to Jesus this week. That's the one point of application I want to give you this week. Um, whatever is going on in your life, maybe you never trusted Jesus. Maybe you've never really stopped to think about where you stand in terms of what you believe about Jesus. Um, go to him. Go to him. Run to Je Whatever you're going through, run to Jesus. Um, God is pleased with him. And because God is pleased with him, God is pleased with you if you'll trust in Jesus. If you look to Jesus, God will say, you're my beloved child. I'm well pleased with you. Um, that's, re that's really, really good news. 
Thanks for your time. We'll see you again next week.